comprehensive sex education is not about a biology. It's about restructuring the sexual attitudes of a culture. And they do that through the children. This is mm -hmm. why they don't care about the parents because they know parents are gonna be too difficult to re-educate, but a child is not too difficult to re-educate. Hey everybody, welcome back to Fearless with Mark and Amber, the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. Oh, buckle up. I've got a two-part interview coming up with one of our new friends that we have met while making the Mind Polluters. Part of the, the Texas contingency, I like to call them. <laughs> God bless Texas. God bless Texas. I we love, love Texas. our people out there. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because when we when we first started working on this film and we were invited to come up uh, to a conference on CSE and SEL uh, here in Indiana, the Texas of the North. And uh, <laughs> we uh, then found ourselves surrounded with uh, fighters from Indiana and fighters from Texas mm -hmm. and, uh, and, 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 couple from the, east, from the east coast yeah. as well <laughs> and uh you know they're just everywhere but monica is one that we didn't meet her in here in indiana but we were introduced to her through those that we met here and boy she's got a story right. she is a, a fascinating you do not want to miss either part of this interview i'm telling you this is monica is uh she's the abby johnson of comprehensive sex education yeah she has a fascinating story. She is the ultimate insider. You know, we did a podcast a few months ago called Uniquely Equipped. Mm -hmm. All about how our backgrounds individually give us unique qualifications to do what we do and talk to the people that we do. Yeah. And I love people like that because that's, and that's what I see with Monica. She, oh, yeah. She was one of... Boots she was, on the ground. She was boots on the ground sex education instructor for 10 years. Well, let me just introduce everyone to her. So Monica Leal Klein is the founder and president of It Takes a Family. Prior to this, she had the unique experience of being a former comprehensive sex educator trained by the LGBTQ community and Planned Parenthood. She now delivers a powerful message to parents, encouraging them to be the leading voice in their children's lives regarding marriage, sex, identity, and healthy relationships from a biblical worldview. She offers resources and skills necessary to strengthen family trust, ensuring that parents are their children's greatest advocates. And her goal is to help parents lead at home, in their communities, and through policy. The great success and stability of any nation is the health and strength of the family. And Monica believes that it takes a family to raise strong children, build healthy communities, and form a great nation. Listen in to our interview. On today's show, I have my new friend and special guest, Monica Klein, who is the founder of It Takes a Family, located in Texas. Monica, welcome to the show. Hi, Amber. Thanks for having me on the show. Yay, I am so excited because you have so much personal experience and information dealing with the comprehensive sex ed. Can you can you give people just some of your background and what I'm talking about? Because I was really blown away. Yeah, so, you know, um, I always let people know that 
you know, I, I'm a former comprehensive sex educator of over 10 years. And what's important to know about a lot of these people involved in comprehensive sex education is that many of us did this out of compassion. We actually thought that this was a good way to approach a public health crisis like the HIV crisis and uh, STDs, which are at epidemic levels at this time. And so when I got into this uh, field, uh, that that was my thing. I, I was full of compassion. I wanted to help people, uh, especially high-risk individuals from getting HIV. And so I started volunteering at uh, an organization that had funding to do just that. It happened to be a gay organization. And uh, so this organization taught me everything about HIV prevention, STD prevention, uh, but they also really taught me a lot about the gay culture. And uh, I was fascinated because, you know, at the time I was right out of college. So imagine someone in her early twenties, you know, I want to change the world. I want to do good things in the world. Uh, I, I wanted to work with populations that most people were afraid to work with. I'm like, well, that's not right. I want to work with people that, you know, at high risk or drug users, whatever it's like, you know, they deserve to be healthy as well. And so I, I was, you know, full into this. Uh, when things started to change is that about a month into my training, uh, Planned Parenthood invited me to come over to their clinic and they were just across the street. And uh, the director of sex education invited me over so that she could teach me how to share this sex education message with children. And so I, I was like, okay, well, that, that's different, but all right, I'm going to go through this training. And she began to tell me the horror stories of young girls coming into the clinic as young as 10. Um, Amber, I mean, these are pretty horrific stories of these young girls. Uh, I can't STDs even imagine. Have, I have a 10-year-old yeah. who's going to be 11 mm -hmm. in like two weeks. And to even yeah. think about that is really hard as a parent. Yes, and it should be. It should be because, you know, what she was describing to me were cases of abuse. Uh, you know, looking back, she, she assured me that this was all something that they had, you know, were, were, were consenting to. That's the new word that everyone likes using today. Planned Parenthood loves this word consent. So they're basically saying, oh, no, they consent. They're consenting. We, you know, and so, but she was telling me these, these um, horror stories and I said, all right, you've convinced me. How do I, you know, teach me how to teach these girls to not have sex? And she said, no, dear, we're not going to do that. That would be judging them. We're just going to teach them how to do it safer. We're going to meet them where they're at, which is they have chosen to be sexually active. And we're just going to teach them how to do it safer. And I, and I did push back a little bit because I myself had not been a sexually active young girl, uh, you know, in, in middle school or high school. And uh, so, but she assured me that this was the right thing to do, that we would be judging them otherwise. And, uh, and, you know, Amber, I, I trusted her. I trusted her because she had a clinic that was funded by the government. They had mm -hmm. Title 10 funding that had STD funding. They had HIV funding. She was the director of sexual health, um, had meetings with the CDC. I mean, she was legit. This was right. a, you know, quote unquote, legit clinic. So I trusted her that this was the only way. So one of the first things that the director of sex education at Planned Parenthood taught me is um, she said, when you walk into a room full of children, she said, what you need to think is that they've done anything and everything when it comes to sex. And if they haven't, they will. And it's your job as a sex educator to explain the different forms of sex, all sexual activity, and how to reduce their risk by using barrier methods or using, you know, hormonal birth control. 
In other words, I was to assume that these children were already sexually active, that they are doing or will be doing almost any kind of sexual activity. And I was to explain how to reduce their risk. And so I covered all forms of sex, oral, vaginal, anal. Um, We talked about lubrication. Uh, We talked about um, bodily fluids and even to the extent of explaining open wounds like tattoos or piercings. So it became very, very graphic. And these kids were very, very young. So when we talk about comprehensive sex ed, this is what we're talking about. Absolutely. Comprehensive sex education. Um, if, if you were, I'll look at, I, I look at it this way. If you were to look at any curriculum for comprehensive sex education, like any workshop, they have objectives. And the objective of comprehensive sex education is to increase the use of condoms and to teach people to use them consistently, whether they're children or adults. And so if their objective supposedly their objective is to increase the use of condoms. And that means that we are to assume that those people are sexually active and will continue to be sexually active when it comes to children. They're looking at it the exact same way. Now, back then in the nineties, they didn't really expose their full philosophy to me, but today we see it very clearly. Of course, after 10 years of working with them, I discovered the philosophy of on my own, Mm -hmm. but they do believe that children are sexual from birth they do believe that all people should explore their, uh, you know, sexual activity and sexuality in every possible form that we should not have to hold back in any way. And that includes children. And so this is why we're seeing comprehensive sex education beginning in very young years, even elementary school, the grooming process starts very, very young. And you're in Texas. So do you see it's in your public schools? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's in Indiana yeah, public absolutely. schools, you know, right. where, where we are. So, yeah. So when I did this in the nineties, it was in the communities. My job as a comprehensive sex educator was to literally walk the streets of these neighborhoods. And so when I knew the school bus was about to get, you know, to public housing, I was there waiting for the kids. And I had already talked to all of their parents before school ended. And so we were constantly doing outreach in these communities, knocking on doors, going to beauty shops, laundromats, wherever we needed to go to pass out condoms, lubrication, and talk about uh, risk reduction with anyone and everyone, including children. Um, Today, you're seeing it in the schools. Back then, we were not allowed in schools in Texas, but teachers snuck us in all the time because they really... Uh, many of the teachers, you know, believed in the philosophy of Planned Parenthood and the HIV prevention and STD prevention. And they, you know, even though the schools didn't allow it, they would bring us in anyway. Or sometimes we would do community fairs in the community and provide this to children and to adults. Today, you're seeing it in public schools, and they're very bold about it. SICA is one of the largest organizations that has been in existence for a long time. You know, they've already come out with basically saying that comprehensive sex education is for social change. Mm -hmm. And what they mean by that is that they want the culture to believe that we are sexual from birth and we have a right to sexual pleasure at any age. And truly what I've usually point out to parents is like, you know, if, if, when someone says that there, you have a human right, it means that there is obviously an oppressor, someone who is trying to take your human right from you. So when Sika says that children have sexual rights, 
then there means that there is an oppressor that is trying to keep children from having sex. And I usually ask parents who in all the world would be the population of people who would want to keep children from having sex. And the parents say, well, the parents, exactly. Mm -hmm. The parents are the enemy to comprehensive sex education. And I illustrate that through my experience with Planned Parenthood is that in all of my years and having volunteered with Planned Parenthood, uh, Amber, you need to understand that when I first started in this career, I started as the low totem pole, you know, I was, I was doing all this sex education on the street, Mm -hmm. but I became a consultant with a a comprehensive sex education training center. They eventually um, hired me as a title 10 uh, family planning training manager Mm -hmm. for, for the States of Texas and New Mexico. So at that point I was consulting and training clinicians from all, you know, at all of the, at all the family planning um, clinics, including Planned Parenthood. And so what Planned Parenthood would always tell me at these conferences is that parents are a barrier to service. Parents are the obstacle for comprehensive sex education to be promoted. And so what they would explain is that as soon as a child, as as soon as a parent knows that their child is coming into a Planned Parenthood that parent will protect the child and Planned Parenthood will not see that child again. So that's why they say parents are a barrier to service. And when you see comprehensive sex education and you read the curriculum, you never hear any mention about parents. You never hear anything about, um, you know, hey kids, you should go talk to your mom and dad about this. Everything is about teaching the children that they have sexual rights to express their sexuality And they also teach them not only how to have sex, how to negotiate the use of condoms through role-playing, but then they also teach them how to navigate the healthcare system. In other words, how do you get an abortion? How do you get a pregnancy test? How do you get STD testing without your parents knowing about it? Mm -hmm. So all of this truly is to destroy that link between parents and children. And it is slowly really destroying family. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, the number one obstacle for comprehensive sex education is the parents. You hear that parents, parents are the ones yeah. say it loud for the ones in back parents. We have to parents. get involved. Oh my God. This is why I created it takes a family. So when mm-hmm. I, you know, I had my last straw and we can talk about that in just a bit, but when I had my last straw with them, I quit my job. And I began to think back on everything that they had taught me and everything I had experienced. And it kept coming back to them telling me that parents are a barrier to service. And I realized, especially now that I was a mother myself, I realized, you know, parents are the key. Family is the key to protecting children. Uh, You know, that's not a, you know, it shouldn't be a big aha moment, but it was for me at that time. Mm -hmm. And I realized that when they say, you know, why do you think Planned Parenthood uses the word parenthood? Because parenthood is powerful. Now they're not actually trying to foster parenthood. They're actually eliminating family by having abortion. Um, so when they say that parents are a barrier to service, they're being very honest and saying, we don't want parents involved. We don't want parents teaching their children about sexuality. We don't want parents um, protecting their children. They want to be the ones in charge of those children. And they do that very uh, effectively. I don't want to use the word well. They do it very effectively with their counseling skills. And so then I realized, yeah, parents are incredibly powerful, which is why I created It Takes a Family. Because what every public health person says is, let we're giving up on parents. Parents aren't going to talk to their kids anyway. Parents don't know what they're talking about. They're not going to do it. They're too busy. 
basically they're acknowledging that parents have basically given up their children to the public school system or to public health, that parents are not having these conversations with their children and they don't care. They don't, they're not interested in getting parents involved, but I am because Mm -hmm. I know that when parents can lead their own children and lead their families, that is, I mean, that's like inoculating your children from the world. You know, when a parent can be there uh, fostering trust and confidence within the family, when a parent um, understands uh, what's going on in the culture and can protect their children and help them to navigate the culture in a safe way, then those children can be protected and they can truly grow up to be strong and confident. And so that's what it takes a family's about is I want to prepare parents to be able to be those leaders for their children. And the truth is, Amber, there are many parents who are not leading their children anymore. Mm-hmm. They truly have dropped them off at school and trusted that the school's going to take care of them. Yeah. Like they have their best interest the in mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so we've, we, as a culture, somehow we have come to believe that mom and dad, we're not the experts and that we have to rely on quote unquote, those experts over there. So even in my travels, when I'm speaking, I've heard uh, moms in the airport, just having, you know, having conversations with each other. And, you know, when we started to see the suicide rates in teenagers increasing, I heard moms saying, oh, I wonder what the school's going to say to the kids about suicide. I wonder what the school's going to tell the children about depression. I wonder what the school's going to tell the children about sex. And I was like, guys, what are you going to tell your children about depression and suicide and sex? That's the key. So we need to stop this. Uh, you know, just really giving up our children over to other people who don't have their best interests in mind, mm-hmm. which I always taught my son. Um, you know, I, I would always tell my son, Ibri, listen, I am your greatest advocate. There is no one else in this world who loves you as more than I do. Mm-hmm. I have, I will always tell you the truth, no matter what happens, no matter what you do, you come to me and trust and know that I have your best interest in mind and I will always lead you the right way. And we had a very close relationship and that, and that is being a parent. That is, ex- that is exactly what a parent should be. Mm-hmm. And so um, it takes a family's all about foster, you know, equipping parents to be those leaders for their children. That is amazing. I am just, I am blown away at the work you were doing and everything. I, I mean, just your story, because again, what, what was the last straw for you? I mean, you were out there. <laughs> yeah. The last straw. Cause you worked yeah. a lot with the LGBTQ community. Or, or I'm not sure if I have all those letters right, yes. <laughs> but but can you kind of share some of that? Because comprehensive sex ed is also exploring the the gender fluidity identity. You can be right. whatever you want, and right. I'm yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, Amber. So back then we didn't talk about the transgender. Um, issue as much. It existed. I actually, at some point ran a focus group and a support group for transgender individuals um, during my time as a comprehensive sex educator. And um, back then we, we, even though we, you know, and I say, I mean, I obviously converted, but back then we wanted to talk about those issues, but we knew that we couldn't at that time, the culture wasn't ready. So we talked about behavior instead. Um, So, you know, but Today, parents need to know that comprehensive sex education not only is a vehicle to groom children to dehumanize themselves by having recreational sex, but when when this type of education can help children dehumanize themselves through sex, it is a natural next step for them to dehumanize the preborn child through abortion. It all becomes a cycle. 
Mm-hmm. And then, but it's this sex education is also a way to groom them into a new belief system that your orientation is fluid and that your gender is fluid, that there are no absolute truths whatsoever and that everything is relative. So people need, parents need to know that, that sex ed is not about biology. Comprehensive sex education is not about a biology. It's about restructuring the sexual attitudes of a culture. And they do that through the children. This is Mm -hmm. why they don't care about the parents because they know parents are going to be too difficult to reeducate, but a child is not too difficult to reeducate. This is very important for parents to know. And, and, and the other piece of it, Amber, is that now that they have comprehensive sex education solidly being supported by even legislators, mm-hmm. administrators at different school districts, um, but they're also integrating this entire philosophy in every classroom because they want full acceptance full submission to their agenda. So you're going to hear about gender fluidity. You're going to hear about sexual orientation, all of that in math class and history class in literature, in music, uh, in theater, in every single subject down every hall propaganda everywhere. And that's what it's really come to. Um, if, if I didn't, if I didn't witness it myself, which I have, you know, I, I have to say, Amber, I'm even surprised that today I am going to that point of saying, parents, it is just becoming abusive to let your children go to public school mm-hmm. because they are being indoctrinated every single day. And what I tell parents is this, is do you know how to respond to this gay situation? Do you know how to respond to LGBTQ and the transgender movement? They're like, no, we don't know how to do that. Well, one, I would love to teach you how to do it. But number two, if you're confused by it and you don't know how to respond to it, can you imagine what your child is feeling going Mm -hmm. to school every day and being pressured every single day to submit to this agenda and how much more difficult it is for a child who wants to be accepted by their peers, who want to be seen in a positive light by their teachers, and they're being pressured every day to submit to this culture it's harder for them than it is for us as adults. Mm-hmm. You know, so many times when I've talked to pastors or other adults, you know, about going to the school board or going to their legislators or, you know, all of these things, they, they would shy, they don't, they say, I don't want to be part of something controversial. And, you know, and, and I have a target on me because I'm a, I'm a pastor. I have a target on me because we're Christians. You know, they already hate us because we're Christians. And I said, you know, well, you better stand up. I know. Stand Number firm. One, exactly. We, like, we need to stand up and stand firm. It's true. Oh my word. But then, but I made this point too, Amber. I said, mm-hmm. you know what? That may be true that we have a target on ourselves. You mm-hmm. know, it, it, if you don't submit to this culture, you have a target on yourselves. Is it more so if you're a Christian? Probably. Yes, absolutely. But here's my point. I said, here's the truth though. Those people pushing this agenda, you're actually not their target you, the pastor, or you, the adult Christian, you're actually not their target. They could care less about you. You know who their target is? Your children, the the children, the innocent children going to the school. I said, so, you know, I didn't say buck up, but I'm like, basically buck up because you're, it's not about you anymore. Mm -hmm. It's about our children. And so that is what's important is that we need to get to the point of allowing ourselves or accepting that things are going to get really uncomfortable and that's okay because you're doing it to protect the children and our future generation. Um, The other side is not ashamed 
and they are not backing down and they will not back down whatsoever. And so it's really up to us as parents to be able to make that difference. Oh, thank you guys for joining us today. We're going to wrap up this conversation here and save part two for Thursday. So you're going to want to come back. You don't want to miss what else she has to talk about. We will see you on Thursday. Thursday.